What's up, fight fans? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. I'm Gabriel. You can find me on social media at and I am joined by my co-host, Miss Natalie Zamudio. Hey, Gabriel. Happy Monday. Happy to be talking to you, man. We had a long week. Oh, I had a long week. We had some good fights this weekend, so I'm ready to get into it. How are you doing? I'm good. I have uh, had a very busy week also. I have a busy week coming up. So I have a, yeah, this is like literally one of my few slow days. The rest are (laughs) going to be pretty packed, but I am happy to be on the air with you to talk about MMA on this lovely Monday. Natalie, we have a ton to talk about, a ton of stuff we won't even have time to get into. So I'm going to just get us right into it. UFC Ottawa, Ally Kinta. Donald Cerrone, um, they are saying this one that there are several mythological figures in MMA. <laughs> Chuck Liddell, when he had that look in his eye. A motivated Anthony Johnson. A disciplined John Jones. And now people are adding Dad Cowboy to that list. And I think that there's a reason why, and it was in part because of that spectacular performance on Saturday. Talk to me about it. Yeah, man. Spectacular is right. A beautiful, vicious performance by Cerrone. You know, the Iaquinta threat was real and Cerrone outclassed him. He dropped him twice, maybe three times, hurt him badly in the last seconds around five. I don't think anyone has put it on Al Iaquinta the way that Cerrone did. Everyone at the top should be a little extra worried right now. Cerrone's being driven by, you said it, dad power. And even though all the top five guys have kids too, there's something about danger that's given Cerrone that extra edge. If he gets that Connor fight, I think I think Connor's in trouble. Also interesting to me was post fight, Cerrone was super honest as always, talking about not having the fire before the fight began, feeling deflated backstage even in round one. But he faked it till he made it. He put on a heck of a show. Man, man, that that was a great win for him. I hope the UFC gives him another big-name fight. Cerrone Gaethje, Cerrone Connor, those are fantastic options. He deserves it. He always delivers. I mean, it's a win-win for UFC, for the fans, for Cerrone. Let's let's make something great happen here. Bless you. Oh, thank you. I was hoping that didn't make the end. <laughs> you can cut it out, man. <laughs> oh, God, I'm sorry, folks. Sorry, MMA. It's the, uh, the spring, the Lord, spring is upon us, sorry. man. Three, that's it. That's it. Three. <laughs> that's the magic number. I'm good. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm all right. I, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, everything just said correct. Danger is, uh, you know, whatever it is. Because he's not the only dad in the UFC by a mile. Right. But it's about the mental game. And honest to goodness, he is fighting like a different guy. And, you know, he says it's his son. You know, look, I don't know if I can ask kids, to be honest. But the fact is, you know, I know we're hooked on it because it's the story. But what we are seeing is a mentally different cowboy. He is fighting differently. He seems to be taking he's just hitting his stride. He's doing all the things correctly that for whatever reason in the last two years or so, you know, he's been inconsistent with. So, you know, whether that's just where he's at in his career, whether that really is waking up and seeing his new son every day, it's working. And I think that that's something to be said for Ayakinta. I was surprised that he didn't come forward as much. I felt like there were a few times where he was just a little too passive trying to make Cowboy come to him. And I don't know if I would take that strategy if I had the abilities I've seen Ayakinta have. But, you know, he was a tough guy. He ate some good shots and he stuck in there. Um, this was just a very clinical performance from Cowboy. He did a good job using his kicks and uh, doing the damage, setting up cleaner punches, avoiding taking too many uh, big hits himself. And, you know, final note before we talk about the future, Ayakinta hit him with some good shots and he took them well. Uh, the same thing with, uh, what was his name? Alex Hernandez in his last fight. Before, when you did that to Cowboy, he tended to start to wilt. Yeah. You know, sometimes he'd rally, but if you were just out fighting him, he never rallied back in those fights. He'd ra- rally back from being stunned, but if you were just starting to really put it on him, he would kind of go down. That has not been happening recently, and I think that is a great testament to just where he's at right now and why people are excited. Yeah, absolutely. Now, 
you talked about it. Cowboy versus Gaethje. Cowboy versus Connor. He wants a title shot himself. Um, let me toss it to you because I spent some time. I think I have the map of what we're going to see, but I want to toss it to you. You know the players involved. Who do you honestly think is going to be next for Cowboy? Honestly, probably Gaethje because Connor is such a um, he's such a mystery. Like we just really don't know if he's going to come back, and especially with pay per view the way it is now, I don't know. I, I what I can't remember is what Gaethje said after his last fight and how long if he wanted like a break. I, I just can't remember what he said about that. You know, Cerrone says he wants to fight in July. Like he mm. would be willing to fight as early as July. So for Connor, I think so. For, for Connor, right? Yeah, for Connor. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. It's a tough one because I just can't. You, I can't make a, a bet on Connor. I don't know when he's coming back. It's this weird, like, you know, boy who cried wolf. He's been doing it for like a year now. Um, what do you think? What's let's let's hear your plan. Okay, here it is. I am taking Connor off the board. I honestly don't think he's going to fight anybody unless it's for a title. And so what I mean to say is unless Habib loses it, Connor's not going to come back for a random fight with anybody else who's not named Habib right now. So I'm taking him off the board. Okay. I think Cowboy, if everyone's health permits and nobody does something like fly out of the cage after winning, he's going to fight the winner of Poirier and Habib. And to get the rest of the division moving, I think that Tony Ferguson fights Justin Gaethje uh, later this year. I think that's what, what we're going to see happen. I'm taking Connor completely off the board unless something changes at the top, but Cowboy's next for the title. I think that it sets it up. I hope so, man. It is absolutely fair to take Connor out of the picture. He's too unpredictable right now, and Cerrone deserves the shot. He has such a big name. He has that amazing UFC record with the most wins or most appearances. I mean, he's got multiple, and he's endearing. I can't imagine there's a fan of MMA out there who doesn't love Donald Cerrone to guaranteed hit. He's put on two extraordinary performances at 155. Yeah, give him the shot, man. Let's let's get it as soon as we can. But but it's it's just can he wait that long? Will he wait that long? Right, uh, Poirier, Khabib. September, I doubt Cerrone can sit on the shelf until when would they? When would Khabib defend the belt again if he wins, or when would Poirier defend the belt if he wins after September? You know, I mean, Habib says he wants one more in 2019 after That's September. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Poirier might want a little vacation if we're being honest, but we'll see. But uh, yeah, to me, the thing about Connor is that l- let's say very bluntly, as much as Connor might enjoy fighting, and I'll give him that credit. He is aware of the business of Conor McGregor and the business of Conor McGregor doesn't get a lot from fighting the Tony Ferguson's, the Cowboys, the Justin Gaethje's, unless there's a title involved, unless there's mega money involved. I hate to say it, but yes, he'll headline his own pay-per-view, but without the extra bump of like the world title or something like that, a Habib rematch, it's just not worth him to him financially to fight these very dangerous men, possibly lose. You know, and make the comeback just for that reason to stay active. It's just not happening. So that's why that's why I see Connor getting taken off the board. And Justin Gaethje, uh, look, he's a very tough guy. He's got a lot of reason to, you know, want a bigger fight. I just don't know if his pedigree yet, you know, they need someone to fight for the title. And I think that Cowboy's, you know, resume right now puts him ahead of Gaethje, even though Justin's been more successful at lightweight in recent years. So. That's how I see it. But look, we'll see a lot happening. There was a lot of good stuff from the card. Uh, Cub Swanson had a good fight. There was uh, a lot of weird stuff happening with the Elias Theodoru and Derek Brunson. So quite the night in MMA for sure. But we have a lot of news because we have two fights. But, sorry, two fight cards with a lot of news, with a lot of fights to break down. So I wanted to get straight to news. Uh, Natalie, the update, UFC rejects, you know, it's come out, rejected Brock Lesnar's offer. So we talked about it last week. Lesnar retired. DC Stipe has become official. DC was talking about it on Helwani's show today. And this has come out. Lesnar reportedly asked for a flat rate for his UFC appearance. And, of course, that's taken into account a full training camp at 42 years old to fight Daniel Cormier. Now, 
UFC apparently just shut that one down and said, you know, they, they I, I don't know if they had a counteroffer, but the fact is they didn't meet his price point. Notably, the new pay-per-view model for the UFC with ESPN, it has changed the ability of, you know, the pay-per-view points and the draws and everything. They're now guaranteed payouts with the new deal. Something to keep note. This one, one report from Dave Meltzer, he's pretty good, but we haven't had too much corroboration saying that UFC 236 only had 100,000. So that in traditional pay-per-view is a bust. So maybe people are saying that Lesnar was right to ask for a flat rate, but I'm going to toss this one to you. What are your thoughts on this reasoning about why we didn't get Lesnar versus DC this year? Yeah, the UFC just doesn't really need to rely on on these big names to bring in the big bucks. That ESPN pay-per-view deal that they snagged, if what's out there is true, that that they're guaranteed the equivalent of 500,000 buys per pay-per-view, and I think the era of the big money, you know, big stars, big money fights is is going the way of the dodo bird. The, the leverage points have shifted, right? The UFC always yeah. had the upper hand, but folks like Connor and Brock and Jones and DC, they could crank enough on a limb to, to get some kind of monetary advantage for themselves. For themselves, you know, last week we we're talking about about DC, and I kept saying, oh, he lost out on his big money fight with Brock. But the more I think on it. I'm not so sure because at this point, the UFC seems to have all of the leverage. So what I hope is that the fighters and their managers start getting creative. You know, let's redefine what it what is meant by pay-per-view points. UFC has this sweet little guarantee with ESPN. So if I'm a champion booked to fight on a pay-per-view card, I'm asking for a percentage of that guarantee, that 500, you know, buy guarantee, or if the buys exceed 500,000, I'm asking for an increase in my cut for every thousand buys that exceed the guarantee. I don't know what the arrangement would be. And, and maybe that's already happening. Who knows? But mm-hmm. but the UFC is going to get away with as much as they can, right? Of course, they're a business. And I think it's on the managers now to start playing a little bit more hardball, get more aggressive. But then that gets tricky, too. We're having this conversation now because Brock tried to play hardball and didn't get his ass. So, But he walked away because he has other lucrative options, right? Who else in the UFC yeah. can walk off into the sunset and still earn millions at their second job? The only other person is Conor McGregor, right? He's got the whiskey. And, uh, you know, maybe that Champ Champ Rosé, I think he said, is actually coming out. <laughs> so he he has that second job with all the money. Brock does too, but nobody else really does. I mean, DC does the commentary, but that's not money. That's, yeah. not, that's not WWE whiskey money. So we're in, we're in tricky times, right? I think we're talking about Connor earlier and how, you know, and I agree with you, kind of put him off the table because we don't know, because, you know, he's only going to come back if the numbers make sense. So for me, the real test will be if he comes back, then then I would say, okay, then the big stars still have some leverage leverage here. They can still negotiate big deals. If he doesn't come back, then I think it'll be clear that like the age of the super athlete and the UFC is is kind of gone. You know, they're just they've just lost so much more of their leverage with this pay-per-view deal. You know, the move to streaming, it really has changed uh, dramatically everything just from like last year. I mean, we uh, I'll say it. I couldn't even comprehend having this conversation last year. Yeah. Um, And now and, you know, maybe we should have because and I'll toss it to you because I agree with everything you're saying. I really do. I think that uh, the UFC is, you know, the way they're building it, they're trying to make it, you know, look, everyone wants a big star. Everyone wants the LeBron James, the Tom Brady of your sport under your banner uh, completely. And UFC isn't different in that way at all yet. That being said, the way they are breaking down the business, you know, you, if you're a fighter, the pay-per-view points, suddenly that entire game for you has changed. And yes, they're still going to be getting a cut of these sales that maybe they didn't before. But, you know, is there that incentive financially to be like, hey, you know, say this, build the fight. If, you know, that stuff isn't set in stone that you are going to get that bump for the pay-per-views. Now, I don't want to just talk, uh, you know, out of my butt. They could very well have those deals in place. But right now, it's very clear that the business is changing. And they are going to have to address certain things moving forward. Because at the end of the day, if these guys are still getting paid on pay-per-view buys, well, people aren't buying pay-per-views the way they used to. They have to address that. So that's a whole 
behind the scenes thing that I think they have to figure out. And that's not going to be solved tomorrow or next week. I think it is going to take some time. I did see that UFC is, um, or they had an update for ESPN Plus, sorry, where now you can buy the pay-per-view straight through the app. So that eliminates the problem that I know you had and other people had. All that's positive. So they are addressing it. I do think it's going to be a lot more complicated than just that, though. Before I move on to uh, the next one, the zone does that thing where you have your flat rate every month and you get everything on it, whether it's a Bellator, whether it's, you know, what would usually be a pay-per-view fight with guys like Canelo Alvarez, Triple G, Anthony Joshua. Do you see the UFC ever working with ESPN to make that kind of deal? I wish, but I really don't see it happening. I don't know what it would like what it would take for them to do that because it was the 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 blueprints were right there right wwe was already doing it for a long time zone yep. just came out with it you know when did they come out last year year before i don't remember so if for they us want, for MMA, yeah for us right yeah so if they wanted to do it it was right there they they chose to to carve their own path in the streaming world and say, yeah, we'll still charge you monthly, but our, our product is so premium that we still feel it deserves this extra buy-in on a monthly basis. Why would they throw that money away if they're already getting people like us, like me anyway, to pay for it? And then they convince ESPN somehow to pay to make up the difference um, with, uh, with their own deal. So no, I, I don't see it happening um, unless they raise their monthly to maybe like $30 a month. Okay, then maybe they would they would call it call it macaroni and not charge us extra for the pay per view. But at four ninety nine a month, <laughs> I don't think they're gonna give us a break on pay per view prices. I want you to know I'm gonna use that the rest of the week. <laughs> call it macaroni. I'm just dating my. I'm just aging myself, folks. <laughs> I, I love that so much right now. <laughs> Our next story. I can't even respond. <laughs> no. Um, you know what? No, I, I'm with you. You know, in their defense, and I know, you know, I don't look these there's different models and UFC is still Starbucks. Everywhere else is still just your local coffee shop when you look at them big picture. Right. WWE Network, they already have a blanket product. There's no uh, I'll say it. they're typically to most consumers, as I understand it. There isn't another big competitor to WWE, really. Yes, there are some. You know, others were following, but the ones that you would genuinely be paying for on a consistent basis, you know, it, it, the WWE is the only one. Boxing with the zone and everything is a different story. And they have Bellator and all that for the our MMA fans that we discuss. ESPN, the point of their entire app is that it is cheaper and accessible. And I think the fact is UFC, if they were to make pay-per-views available on it or even a week later, they would be losing the revenue that, uh, you know, quite frankly, you know, you can't ask the consumer to pay more for ESPN Plus just because they'll get UFC on it. That'll turn off all the non-MMA viewers who are they're trying to get to buy ESPN Plus. So I think the business it's a little apples to oranges, even though you would feel like it should be a possibility, right? So that to me is the real end point on that one is that as much as I would love it, like you said, I think we all would to make it easier on everybody. I just don't see the UFC doing it. I think they, the way they see it is that like, look, ESPN Plus has replaced the Fox Sports 1 card. Yeah. yeah. Pay-per-view is still pay-per-view. You want to watch the big stack mega events? You pay for it just like you always did. So I think that that's just where they're at. And it's just how feasible is it long term? Could we see a shift? And I think that the UFC brand, this is them flexing that the brand power at the end of the day is that can it push the DAZONs and the others, you know, with its old model, with these established guys who are the biggest stars in the sport. So that's where it's going to come down to. Moving on, PFL is back this Thursday on May 9th. It is uh, the start of the women's lightweight division in terms of having a tournament with Kayla Harrison. They do not have a middleweight division. I want to say they're doing the light heavyweight now this season. 
But so some changes with everything going on in PFL. Uh, too many fighters and divisions for us to do X's and O's. But look, we know they're out there. They are the third major player in the U.S. after UFC and Bellator. So Natalie, I'm going to toss it to you. What are your thoughts about PFL Season 2? Well, I'm excited. But first, I am glad that you pointed out that there's a lot there are a lot of, of um, fighters on these on these rosters because I haven't fully scoped them out yet. So I'm glad you didn't quiz me on them. I would have failed that test today. Um, but <laughs> but I will say I am you know I'm aware of the big ones that floated to the surface. Obviously, Kayla Harrison and Sarah Coffin moving up to 155 to to compete in that tournament. Ray Cooper, who was really exciting last year, we thought you know everyone thought he was going to win his division and then and then had a shocking loss in the final round. Lewis Taylor. I was excited to see him actually fight at um, what welterweight, but I guess it just yeah. it just broke or not just broke, but the news has come out recently that he's had to um, pull out of the tournament. He was declared an eligible to fight by New York State Athletic Commission. Don't know why yet. I'm gonna. I was about to say I'm gonna assume, but probably shouldn't. I'll just leave it at that. I literally don't know why. Okay. We'll stop there. But anyway, I really enjoyed the first season. I'm really excited to see what kind of treatment ESPN gives them. If ESPN is smart, they'll give the PFL a nice push. I, they should be thinking big picture and realize that eventually, if they help grow the PFL enough, it can serve as a solid counter to the UFC. Wouldn't US? Wouldn't I would say I should say? Wouldn't ESPN love to have viable options in the MMA world? Because right now they're like ninety-five percent UFC, giving them a lot of money. But you never know, man, where the UFC is going to be in seven years. Chances are they're going to be bigger than ever, but you don't know. So if I'm ESPN, I want to have an MMA backup plan and, and not just to be able to say on paper, we have, you know, another MMA promotion, but to help grow it, to help make it a viable MMA promotion in the U.S. The PFL format, you know, the tournament style, this sort of semi-transparent pay structure where at least you know that the winner gets a million. To me, it operates more like a traditional sport. ESPN should not sleep on PFL. So hopefully with this big platform that, that PFL is getting now, I know it's going to be mostly like ESPN plus ESPN two, but that's still a big deal. Hopefully more higher, higher caliber fighters will be asking to fight in the PFL when their contracts up. I think it could be interesting. I think, I think we should just keep our eyes open and see, see who else they can start recruiting. You know, Bellator was, has been doing a nice job over the years of getting some high, some big names from, you know, the UFC and from other places and building up their own fighters. Like they've really, really, really nicely built up their own young fighters into stars. So I really like to see PFL do the same and they've got ESPN there and ESPN is, is, is learning all the, um, all the ropes on how to, how to handle MMA by working with UFC. So it's only going to be a positive for PFL. Yeah. Talking about the fights, uh, look, I think that people have, uh, if you're a fighter, you want to fight in the United States, you know, like, look, one championship, they always have that thing. It's like, yeah, but, you know, you got to fly to Asia and all that. And it's, it's its own thing. I think the idea of PFL having, you know, being that league in uh, the USA is a big deal. For me, when I look at it, it's like, look, you're going to have guys who, you know, may, for whatever reason, their UFC or Bellator, you know, run didn't work out. But look, there's still some exciting guys who bring it. Yeah, that's kind of what they built it. That's how the old WSOF was made. That's how Bellator and, you know, a few years ago kind of had their resurgence in this second wave, the second boom, so to speak. So they're trying to follow a traditional model. The big key to it, obviously, is that big name free agents aren't floating around like they used to about 10 years ago it's it's harder to build it up from scratch but look they're out here they're doing it i uh, i mean i was looking through instagram and i see kevin hart with the pfl gloves you know some good marketing there all of that bodes well i want to see kayla harrison see you know look she's the top prospect i think in women's mma to be the next big thing i like that idea i like that we have somebody that seems to be doing all the right things Guys like the Ray Cooper, I love watching Vinny Megalesh. I think he's very creative, and I love watching to see if he'll add to his submission of the year candidates that he had last year. So all that, I, I'm with you there. There's a lot of good fights to be had, and, of course, people fighting hard for a million dollars. On the ESPN side of it, 
I see it as two fighters who have the same manager and fighting the same weight class, mm-hmm. a la Tony Ferguson Connor. Yeah. It makes sense that they should be competing against each other, but if you're management, you don't necessarily want to do something that would look make your main cash cow look worse. And what I mean to say is that you don't want PFL to start to overshadow UFC. So you give UFC your attention. The problem is you're disrespecting a great product in your Tony Ferguson, a.k.a. the PFL. <laughs> that is, uh, you know, that gets complicated. And the way I see it is that, look, if you're honestly broadcasting PFL, if I'm ESPN, the way I see it, don't try to run, uh, maybe run commercials, but for the most part, don't say that, well, don't mention UFC on PFL broadcasts and vice versa. Don't have, you know, John Anik talking about it and then try to have Eves Edwards talk about UFC on their broadcast. I think that run the commercials the way you usually do, you know, PFL on Thursday night. Next commercial break, UFC on Saturday night. Keep it simple and give it their respect because otherwise I think you're going to start running into conflict because it's like, well, you know, what is this going on? What's the relationship? On, you know, for me, I think that it's hard to see ESPN given PFL the kind of run that they've gotten from other places. I know they signed Lillian Garcia and they're doing some more stuff. I think PFL is going to stay on Facebook Live and things like that for pre and post fight stuff, podcasting and everything. I think that ESPN is not going to give them the same treatment as UFC. But what I hope doesn't happen is that PFL ends up like college softball or anything else yes it's on espn but you never know that it's on i am guilty myself and i know many people are of just changing the channel when you're just waiting for something and you see college softball and you're waiting (laughs) for your nba game or something look we're all guilty of it i know i'm not alone here and those girls kick butt and i hope they have great careers but the fact is that's how it's viewed i would hate for that to happen to pfl it shouldn't be happening to college softball, but that's the world we live in. Yeah, I mean, college softball can be very exciting, especially the pitching. It's such a unique, you know, form, such a unique style of throwing a ball. It's one of the hardest things in sports to do. <laughs> I still don't know why they do it that way. However, it's amazing to watch. I do watch college softball every once in a while. Uh, I hear what you're saying. Uh, you don't want it to be the the channel that you 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 know you scroll by on the on the guide because yeah you never know what you're gonna get yeah <laughs> but you know we'll see right you know what PFL has going in its favor it's just got to get some eyeballs like once it, it gets someone to stay on for five minutes or for one fight I think because of that unique structure where you know you get more points the the earlier you finish your opponent. That really motivates these fighters to to have impressive round ones. Sometimes they go the they went the distance a lot of the times, but at least what I saw, a lot of them were really like well, first round, second round finishes. It made it way more exciting. So that incentive based fighting, I think, will continue to motivate the fighters. And hopefully, if some fans or some people that don't know, maybe they were looking for college softball and they found PFL instead, are going to be like, hey, this is pretty cool. I like it. So I don't know. <laughs> We'll so, so you agree that college softball is about to be the college softball is the dinosaur, PFL is the meteor. Is that what I'm hearing from you? Natalie? You know, I wouldn't say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's the volcano, you know, that only destroys half of uh, half of the land or something. No. <laughs> I don't know, man. Soft, softball is the mammoth, and the PFL is the the ice age. It's the ice age, yeah. Okay. I don't know. We'll see. You know, as long as the as long as ESPN doesn't relegate PFL to like uh, what was the the channel on that? What's that movie? Dodgeball. Oh, ESPN. The Ocho. Hey, I love the Ocho. As long as they don't relegate them to the Ocho, I think it has a chance. I think it has a chance to to get some new fans. I mean, I, I love the idea of the Ocho. I I really think they should. I think they're missing uh, some really serious, you know, uh, income. By not having the Ocho, yeah. yes. But all right, look, uh, so uh, season two starts. I'm sure we'll be discussing the highlights next week. But there are a lot of fights going on. So we're getting it started very early. 
first Bellator. Last time uh, Bellator took the cake on what's the top card. I think UFC tops this one, but uh, Bellator. So we'll start with Bellator. Essentially, two twenty one Chicago uh, champion versus champion in the main event. But we're going to start with the welterweight Grand Prix. Making his comeback already, Michael Venom Page against Douglas Lima. First off, when you think about how long it took for us to finally see Rory and John Fitch, I think that's what makes the fact that we just saw MVP a couple weeks ago, it feels like, coming back the most jarring. It's like, this is the pace it should be at. So we have a great fight, two strikers. Natalie, how do you see this one? So I'm excited for this. I want to see MVP come out and perform like, you know, classic MVP. We didn't get that when he fought Paul Daly, but I suspect Douglas Lima is going to be a more game fighter, right? Also, Lima is a former two-time champion. I think he's going to be more willing to put on a proper fight. I don't think he'll play it safe or timid the way I thought Daly did. Plus, you got to believe that after seeing Rory's fight against Fitch, hearing Rory talk post-fight about, not being able to pull the trigger, having all these, you know, thoughts running through his mind. <clears throat> Excuse me. That I, I would think Lima's extra motivated to earn a shot at redemption against McDonald. He wants to get that one back. So that being said, I am actually picking MVP. Um, his his daily fight, his fight with Daily was so disappointing. I think he'll be looking for redemption as well. He'll want to give the fans a show, help build excitement for the remainder of the tournament. Lima's a tough out, but I actually think MVP goes the distance, which is not typical of him, but I think it's going to go to the distance and he'll win by decision. What do you got? I'm going to call it macaroni. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Uh, Once again, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think that if I'm Douglas Lima, I watched MVP. I watched what Paul Paul Daly, you know, he's not getting credit because he didn't bang with them. He kind of, he stole some rounds with MVP. He showed that you don't, you don't have to be a great wrestler to get this man down. And Douglas Lima isn't stupid. He sees and said, you know what? I'm, I'm not throwing it out. Yes, I would love to bang with him and knock him out. But he sees that option. He sees the takedown right there is what I'm getting at. Yeah. That being said, I think that Douglas Lima, I I think that just who he is as a fighter, he's going to want to stand and bang with him. I say that when you have these guys like Adesanya, like Wonderboy, like these other strikers who are long and, you know, use their range like that, leg kicks. Lima is a powerful guy. Just chop away at that kick, take that front leg, take away the mobility, make it more of a brawl where MVP can't use all that creativity. I think that's the key to victory. I think that coming forward, getting in the clinch, staying in his face with punches, Faints, similar to Kelvin Gastelum versus Adesanya. All of that are options he should weigh. He is more of a slow plotting fighter. MVP obviously stays on the outside and does his thing to try to lure you into one of his traps. I think that Lima just really needs to be committed to take a few punches, to land a few. He's got to be prepared to eat them coming in as he gets his hands on MVP. I think that's the way to an upset. I have been feeling MVP. I I am on the train. I think that he really is one of those guys who fights to the level of his competition. I see him maintaining the distance, slipping Douglas Lima, picking him apart. I don't know if he has more firepower in a brawl, but I do see him having the accuracy to be able to put him away. And I think that unless Lima does try to use his wrestling and his ground game, it's going to be MVP edging him out once again. So um, I have MVP also. I think that this is a tough fight. I think that he's going to really raise his game, fight a lot differently than we saw against Paul Daly, and he's going to be done against Douglas Lima. All right, same page. I like it. Moving on to the main event, lightweight champion Michael Chandler looks to defend against featherweight champion Pitbull. Uh, This one, we talked about it a little bit. We're going to rehash it again. I say Michael Chandler, very capable, just a bigger athlete, I think has the ability to do damage. Patricio Pitbull is a very competent, very good, explosive mixed martial artist. But stylistically, I don't see him using his speed and his range. I think that he's going to be trying to counter. And I don't think that strategy is going to work against a bigger guy in Michael Chandler. 
But how do you see the fight? Yeah, I think Chandler takes it, but but all the pressure is on him here, and I think he wants to make a statement. You know, his fight against Brent Primus did not go as expected, so obviously he won. But I really thought he'd be able to finish Primus. You know, Brent proved to be a much better fighter than at least I gave him credit for, especially when you consider the controversy, you know, the weird way that, that Chandler lost his belt to him. So I think Chandler wants to make a statement. But these are both super tough fighters, lots of heart, stocky, like sturdy little dudes. I think Chandler takes it, like I said. He's got the three-inch height advantage, four-inch reach advantage. It's the power differential, though, that I suspect will be the the difference here. I'm seeing Chandler TKO round three. I think it'll actually go that far. I'm going to... Uh, I actually have a unanimous decision for Chandler. I think he's just going to be, you know, similar to Rory versus Gegard. I think he's just going to be a little too much for all of uh, Patricio's abilities. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Um, Patricio, like a lot of these guys with great striking, very underrated ground game. Do you see Michael Chandler trying to wrestle with him and just avoid the stand-up? I think he'll try to, he'll, he'll faint like he's going for a takedown just to mess with his head. But I think he's going to try to keep it on the feet. But but he can handle himself. I mean, he's he's such a great wrestler. So I think I don't think he'll have any issues if it gets taken that way. I don't think he'll be initiating it though. I think he'll see that he can just finish him with his fists and and try to go that way. He can, but I I actually see him uh, trying to grapple a little more. I feel like a big fight like this. I think that he knows the best route to victory. I think he's. Um confident in his ability to keep the pressure on from the top. I think he's not worried about uh, Patricio pulling off a triangle or an arm bar or something from the bottom position. I think that he feels confident in his wrestling and his ability to grapple and stay on top. So that's just one of the things I saw. I was like, you know, as much as this could be a fun chess match, I could easily see Michael Chandler just bulldozing him and staying on top for 25 minutes. So I wanted your take on that. But look, a good card. They actually, arguably, you know, they have for the undercard probably a little more exciting. They have AJ McKee taking on Pat Curran. That one is huge for the featherweight division. Um, uh, I'm going to throw this out there, and this is a a longer conversation for a later date. I don't get how they're going to do a long featherweight tournament. I feel like we already know who's next for uh, Patricio if AJ gets the victory. So doing a whole tournament almost feels counterproductive. When you look at AJ McKee and some of the other guys there, but that's a good fight. And you have the former WWE star Jake Hager taking on TJ Jones, you know, Jack Swagger himself. So there is some good stuff. But what stands out to you on that undercard? Yeah, AJ McKee, I mean, he hasn't lost since 2013. He's a really special fighter. So I think it should be a, he'll get that win without issue. Yeah, but he, he hasn't lost at all. Remember, he's undefeated. Oh, okay. Yeah, then whatever I saw was he must have been like amateurs or something. I don't know where I was looking, but it was a, it was a long, long time ago, or, or maybe it was a mistake then. Um, yeah. But um, he's gonna get that win, I think, no problem. And yeah, what you're saying about the tournament, it is kind of it is kind of weird, right? Because he's the uh, he's the the next in line, right? The heir heir apparent for the contender spot. So we'll see what happens. I mean, they're gonna do it. So is this one of those million dollar tournaments, though? I don't know. Well, I mean, like PFL, no. I don't know. If What's how the much one uh, they... the, the, with the 50 cent thing? Isn't like that happening with the welterweights yes. where they get like a million at the end? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is, huh? I think so. I, I just, you know, they don't, I think they don't talk about that enough because they don't want to sound like PFL. They do like to show, P, um, sorry, 50 cent handing that bottle of, uh, <laughs> what is it, the champagne? I don't know what it is. <laughs> It looks good. Yeah, it looks good. It's like something you want to pop the bottle off, or, you know, pop the top off and celebrate in the back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, good undercard. I think we'll have a lot to talk about on Monday for sure. But we go from Chicago to Brazil, UFC 237. Some fighters in enemy territory. A lot of legends, if you ask me, on this card. That makes it so much fun. Let's start from the co-main event up. Jose Aldo versus Alexander Volkanovsky. Look, Max Holloway is coming back to 145. This is Volkanovsky's chance to jump into a title fight. How do you see it going? Dude, Jose Aldo's on a tear, right? Everybody knows that. So is Volkanovsky. They're both ferocious fighters. Excellent cardio. But my money's on Jose Aldo. 
he's been public about, you know, being at the end of his career and he wants to go out on top. He's going to be fighting in Brazil. He just demolished. Who did he beat? Renato uh, Moicano and um, yep. who was the other guy? I can't remember. Jeremy Stevens. Thank you, Jeremy Stevens. Um, he's only two years older than Alexander, but, he, but he's obviously had an unparalleled career, right? So I think he gets in there. I think he wallops Alexander, even though Alexander Volkanovsky is amazing, super impressive, and and totally beat up Chad Mendes. I think Aldo's going to get it done. Wicked body shots, finishes him. I think in the second round. What do you got? I got more macaroni. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, every time I see this, Volkanovski wants an upset. You got to get in his. You got to do the Kelvin Gastelum. You got to get in his face. Don't be afraid. Chop at him with leg kicks. Um, it, it's you're gonna have to take a few to land a few for sure. Jose Aldo isn't is no slouch. He's not gonna go away. It could turn into a war. But if you're Volkanovski. You gotta keep the pressure on. You're already shorter, um, less reach. It's good. you're just gonna have to step into the fire and really put the pressure on him. Try to land that on the inside. I think that Jose Aldo, uh, you know, it's a different mentality, but it's one that's working. I think that he's feeling himself. I think that he feels sharp. I think that he's prepared to move and slip and stay on the outside, chop away with the leg kicks himself, and really hamper that mobility. Uh, 15 minutes, not 25. I think that is very crucial. I think that Aldo could look to coast a little bit if he feels he's ahead, maybe get the takedown and stay on top to avoid the big power of Volkanovski. But I think it's going to come down to the footwork. They don't talk about it, but Jose Aldo has some of the best. He's got a lot of offensive weapons. Um, I know that Volkanovski wants his Jack Hermanson moment against another uh, amazing Brazilian fighter, but I think that there's levels to this. I think that Jose Aldo is going to show that he's not done yet. He's going out on his terms, and I see him getting the job done. Uh, unanimous decision. I think it's going to be tough to put Volkanovski away. All right, we've got Jose Aldo. Let's, uh... yeah, man, I just, I he's so, he's like in that zone right now. He's just so ferocious in Brazil. I don't see it going any other way, but a Jose Aldo win. So let's fingers crossed, man. Moving on. I mean, I know we want to get our picks, you know, yeah, right. Selfishly, fingers crossed so we can get our picks right. <laughs> like, you know, we're trying to show Vegas that we could do this. <laughs> Moving on to the main event, Rose Namajunas going into enemy territory, taking on Jessica Andrade. I've said it since this fight was announced. This is a different animal than Joanna Jonjacic. Yes, Joanna beat Jessica, but styles make fights. Jessica is a completely different beast. Rose has her hands full, in my opinion, but how do you see this fight going? This one makes me nervous because I keep picturing Jessica Andrade knocking out Carolina Kovalkiewicz. But but Rose is, you were talking about levels with Jose Aldo. This is how I feel about it with Rose and Jessica. I think Rose is a few levels above above Carolina, right? So she has much mm-hmm. better head movement, footwork, and she has that killer ground game too. I think it is going to be a legitimate test for Rose, but I do believe she is a superior fighter, even over Andrade. As long as she can avoid the big knockout, which is totally doable, I see Rose winning a unanimous decision. Obviously, Jessica is so strong, and she can maybe take her down and hold her down, but Rose has that ground game. She's very smart. I think she gets it done, but it goes to the judges. Uh, there's a lot of truth in what you're saying. But listeners know I say this every single time there's Jessica Andrade news. <laughs> Jessica Andrade just fights with that gangster. I say that gang- one more time. That gangster. <laughs> she is relentless. She is mean. She is violent. I think that Rose coming off a year layoff might be a little more vulnerable than people are talking about. Um, to her credit, I think it's going to be a tough fight. I think that Rose uh, has uh, all the capabilities to use her footwork. She keeps Andrade on the outside, try to pick her apart with kicks. That being said, I think what helped Joanna so much is she was willing to establish the jab and keep her at the end of it. Rose, in my opinion, kind of likes to exchange with you. She likes yeah. to try to get into a bit of a more of a, I don't want to say full brawl, but she likes to trade a few punches. 
that does not work against Jessica Andrade, in my opinion. I think Jessica generates too much power. I think that she has the full ability to just get in your face, get the clinch, and just drag you to the ground. And I know that Rose has a great ground game, but on top, Jessica is one of the most dangerous fighters we have in women's MMA. If she wasn't so small, you'd be talking about her as a physical specimen like we do a Chris Cyborg. She is physically one of the most imposing fighters inside the cage when she has her hands on you. And that, to me, is the real key. I think the threat of the power is going to be there for for Jessica, and she's going to use her takedowns to get on top of Rose and just smash her with ground and pound. Just, you know, stay on top of her. Don't allow Rose to throw her hips. Make it a moot point. And just she's going to get the job done that way. Rose is tough. I think that she doesn't go down until the ref stops that fight. But I do see Jessica getting the job done. I'm going to say third round. TKO. Oh, my God. I think by that wow. time, Rose is going to be broken down. And it's going to be. Yeah. Dude, that's a serious pick. All right. Let's see what happens, man. I think I uh, I love Rose way too much to uh, to even entertain that thought. It's entirely possible, but I still think uh, I still think she pulls it out. But it's totally possible, man. Andrade is scary. She's super scary. And I'm like, just I just got that X factor. Uh, Rose has got a lot of skills, but I just don't. I, I don't know. I guess I believe in Jessica's ability to really get to Rose Namajunas. That's that's what it keeps coming down to every time I do their X's and O's. Yeah, and like um, we talked about beastly and, and animal qualities, like that's something that a lot of the Brazilian female fighters have, right? You look at Nunes and Cyborg and, and Andrade. That's just, that is their X factor. They just have this extra, I don't know what, in them that that a lot of the other female MMA fighters don't have. So let's see how, how Rose can handle it. She's so violent. Do you think that Jessica Andrade, like, when she's not training, she's one of those girls that just likes a good rom-com, maybe just some <laughs> ice cream? I think so. I think when you know you're that strong and badass, like, you look at everybody else as, like, zero threats. And so you can be that relaxed and watch, you know, Notting Hill on a Saturday afternoon. Um, because you know that if Julie Roberts came at you, you could finish her. So it's... <laughs> it's it's like that confidence, yeah. <laughs> we'll just, see. This, this, that girl is one tough cookie, man. Indeed. But uh, look, that's how I see it. Uh, so we are split on that one. The undercard, uh, Anderson Silva, Jared Cannonier. I say it all the time. Any chance I get to see Anderson Silva, I am here for it. I, He is the GOAT. Um, the fact that this could be his second to last fight is just mind-boggling to me i can't believe it that's the real standout of the undercard to me um was there anything else on from that ufc 237 card that you saw that you wanted to mention no man my heart is focused on rose you know i'm being openly biased about it but that's uh that's my main preoccupation right now as we uh as we approach saturday i mean you know what we gotta believe right (laughs) <laughs> but no, look, it's going to be a fun one. I think that it's uh, this is one of the better uh, cards for Brazil. I know last year they had the Mackenzie Dern, Kelvin Jacare. This one by far blows that card out of the water, if you ask me. I think it's going to be a really epic one. So a lot to enjoy. Uh, what was that one? Oh, that was also Jose Max 1, too, I think. So, yeah, I just feel like for the star power top to bottom. This one is just a little bit tougher. I think there's a lot more even and fun matchups on the card. So I'm really excited for that. But yeah, that's it for this week's show. Next week, we'll be back to recap all of that stuff and discuss the next event. UFC Rochester, Rafael Dos Anjos making his, well, well, sorry, welcoming Kevin Lee to the welterweight division. Kevin Lee making his welterweight debut. That one is going to be very interesting. Natalie, we got so many fights. We didn't even mention Invicta having a whole tournament this week. That's yeah, that's right. We had. Okay, it wait. It's a crazy week. It's Go a ahead. crazy week. Yes, we didn't mention Invicta. I also would love to talk or to hear about what you have going on. Isn't it the Saturday that you have your uh, your awesome gig going in uh, Riverside? 
Yes, I do. I am glad you asked. This Saturday, you can catch me at USKO Fight Night. Usually, they've done kickboxing and Muay Thai, but this is their first MMA show. I'll be doing in-cage reporting from the night. They are having a lot of great fights, up-and-coming fighters. Also, youth MMA, which you probably didn't oh. know was a thing. It is awesome. They're going to have, you know, the stars of tomorrow getting their first, you know, taste of being in the cage in a competition. I am excited to be a part of it. I thank you to Ed, the promoter, and everybody involved for giving me so much freedom. Natalie, you are invited. I would love to see you there if you can make it, If you know, in between UFC and Bellator. So definitely thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate it. And if anyone's in the Riverside, California area, I look forward to seeing you guys. Hey, man. That, yeah, that sounds super awesome. And best of luck to you. Do you have, like, your uh, your suit and tie picked out already? You know what you're going to be wearing in the cage? You know what? I'm not Bruce for has these things, like, months <laughs> out planned out. Um, I, I was planning probably about Wednesday I'll go through the closet and be like, this is the one. You're going to so. rip the upholstery off your sofa and make yourself a nice jacket? That's what it looks like Bruce Buffer's doing, so I don't know. <laughs> You know what? I, I, I'm going to just get something that just like some smooth white silk that the blood splatter is going to stand <laughs> out on it. That's I like the it. strategy. I got to ask you something, though, because you've done the in-cage interviews before, right? Yes. So when you're sitting, you're sitting like ringside or cage side and you're watching a fight, are you taking notes or like are you thinking like, OK, what am I going to ask when this fight's over? Or do you get in there and the questions just come right out? Oh, my gosh. Good question. Um, I definitely try to write a little bit. Here's the thing. To me, taking the notes almost isn't that effective because you're thinking almost a little too much mm. because compared to talking to them, let's say, after they've gone to the back and done, done their medicals, you've had more time. Then those questions, I think, feel more relevant. When you're walking up to them in the cage and they just had a fun battle, it's very raw and you almost don't want to get too technical in round two, you went for the go-go plot, but you switched to the elbow and you isolated the knee. No, you almost, you know, want to talk, keep it simple. And um, I think that's that's my approach personally. And so I'll do my notes if it's a big fight. But usually I kind of look at the general skeleton of the fight and I'm like, OK, I know what I want to ask this guy. I know what I want to ask this girl. And that's my strategy and how I do it. I like it, man. Which well, good luck. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. You guys will be hearing all about it. I'll have some clips and all that coming up on the channel next week. But Natalie, there's a lot of MMA. Where can fans find you to talk about these things? Oh, yeah. I'm on Twitter at Zamudiorama5, Instagram at Zamudiorama. The old website is thestraightpunch.com. And uh, I'm there all the time. So hit me up. You heard it. Fights Zamudiorama5 or Zamudiorama on Instagram. Natalie, I will see you next week. Guys, you can find me on social media at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double. Have a good one.